So as we're going forward in the Gospel of Matthew, we are in chapter 10. Last week we saw where Jesus chose the 12 apostles and he gave them, he, he called them, he empowered them, and he sent them. So we know that these 12 apostles went out on some type of ministry adventure throughout Israel. Could have been weeks, a few months maybe, where he paired them up in twos and they were teamed together and they learned how to do ministry. And I mean, it's just being thrown right in the fire, right? These guys were everyday people just like us. And suddenly they're teamed up and off they go. And I can't even imagine the nervousness they felt going to the villages, whether they're accepted or rejected. I can remember in Virginia quite a bit when we started the church early on in Virginia, I would go out with my other assistant pastor and we'd go through neighborhoods inviting people to church. And it's just quite an adventure when you knock on people's doors uh, to just say hi and invite them to church and want to share Jesus with them. And you get really nervous. When I went to Vermont, I did the same thing. And it just, it's, it's a, if you've ever done it, it's pretty challenging. So props to the apostles who were fishermen just a few months before or tax collectors working for Rome a few months before. And now they're apostles serving Jesus Christ going about the ministry. So that's where we left off last week. We're in this chapter where he's called them and he sent them. And he told them last week, we saw it, that do not go to the Samaritans or the Gentiles, the non-Jews. That's for a later time. This is what you're focused on. Israel, if they accept you in the village, in the town, bring your peace to it. If they reject you, shake the dust off your feet and keep moving forward. So we continue from that text tonight in verse 16. We pick it up now in chapter 10. Jesus said this, continuing the thought which we just reviewed. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. But then they, they, but when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak. For it will be given to you at that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Now, brother will deliver up brother to death, and father is child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. And when they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For surely I say to you, you will not have done, gone throughout the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor is a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple to be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, which is basically saying the devil, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. We'll stop here tonight, and we'll have more again next week in the red letters of Jesus in this very famous, important chapter. Again, contextually, he's sending out the 12 apostles for their first journey. We know he'll send out this, a group of 70 later on while Jesus is still alive. And then after the day of Pentecost, when he's been crucified, risen, and ascended to heaven, he sends the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. They go forward, the early church, which is like we just mentioned, the women's ministry, be dynamic, studying that first local church in Jerusalem. The apostles impacted their region, and then they went out. And from Fox's Book of Martyrs, the famous book written in the 1600s, there is the record of tradition in the church of what those apostles did, where they all went out during their lifetime before they all stepped into eternity, 
Essentially, all of them were, were killed for their faith, with the exception of John, who wrote the Gospel of John according to church tradition. Now, as we look at this text, we see that it's for these guys in the time Jesus is alive. It's very, very unique. The things being described, it's very Jewish. Synagogues, family division, Jewish families being divided over Jesus being the Messiah and these sorts of things. And so we, we recognize that and we understand that, yeah, this is what they, they went through. And as we come forward tonight to our timeline and our place on planet Earth and our time in planet Earth in 2024, we want to look at this passage as it would apply to us. And the key phrase for us in application tonight where Jesus said, I, I, send, you out as, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. That is a very powerful statement. That, that's a very powerful statement because sheep are sheep. And sheep are known to be dumb and dumb animals. And they follow other sheep and uh, where wolves are known to be crafty. And we know that wolves prey on sheep. Sheep and wolves are something we're all familiar with. But here, I was thinking about this. When you think about Jesus using the figurative speech of his apostles representing him going out into the nation of Israel where many people would reject him, he says, your sheep among wolves. What a contrast, right? Later on in John, excuse me, in Matthew 25, Jesus talks about the end of the age and separating the sheep from the goats. The sheep are believers, goats are non-believers. So animal terminology is common in the Bible in this type of expression here. Sheep, wolves. No one likes to be bullied by a wolf, but it's far better to be a sheep for Jesus than to be a wolf for Satan. And when you think about it, everything's a contrast with the kingdom. There's a narrow gate that leads to life through faith in Jesus, and there's a broad path that leads to destruction, and many go thereby. There's light. Jesus is the light of the world, and believers are called the light of the world as well. And there's darkness, and men are in darkness, and men in darkness don't come to the light lest their evil deeds be exposed. There are those who are justified through faith in Jesus, and there are those who are condemned because they reject Jesus. It's always like that. The world is filled with givers, the body of Christ serving others, and takers, those who take. It's heaven and hell. It's, it's the way it is. So it's not surprising that Jesus would give us these two distinctions. See, our world and our culture wants to muddle everything together, right down to confusion over genders. The devil loves to blur the lines of right and wrong, truth and falsehood, absolutes, and make it ambiguous and ambiguity and, and make things that are boundaries that God has given of definition and make it all one big Instead of distinct paints and a beautiful painting of all the tapestry of human history and the work of the Lord in different peoples and ethnic groups and timelines and time zones, the devil just want to make it all muddy, just mixing paints like uh, just mixing paints where there's nothing beautiful from it. And that's what he's done. That's what he does. That's who he is. But there's a great distinction between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And there's a great distinction between sheep and wolves. So as we look at this text tonight, we need to realize if you're in Jesus, you're a sheep and you go to work with wolves and the world out there that rejects Christ is wolves and they reject Christ in different capacities and express it in different ways. But this planet right now, when Jesus looks at it, you can say he sees people that are saved and unsaved in the light, in darkness, heaven, hell, justified, condemned, or sheep and wolves. So that's our application for the topic. Our identity is in Jesus which makes us sheep. Now, because we're sheep amongst wolves, 
He said, therefore, now there's two therefores in this text. The first therefore is at the beginning, and the last therefore is at the end of this text. This text tonight is bookended with therefore. So the first therefore is because we're sheep in a world of wolves, therefore we're to be wise as serpent and harmless as doves. Wise as serpents and as gentle as doves. The other therefore is at the end says, don't worry about what they do to you because nothing's going to be hidden. It's not revealed and all come to light and God will have the final say and no one gets away with anything. So in case I forget to cover that later on, we just said it right there, okay? So this starts it out, and this is how it ends. Now, being sheep among wolves, therefore, we need to have wisdom and be harmless. Now, when you think about wisdom and harmless, this is just important because it sets us up for the three points. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We read that, in, of course, in Proverbs. That's not the only place, but that's where we read it. And wisdom is, knowledge is, to know the facts, understanding is to know what they mean, and wisdom is to make the right decisions based upon the facts. So a person who gives their life to Christ, they've heard the gospel, they understand, they've, they've, heard, they've got the knowledge of the gospel, they understand that this is life, and apart from Christ is death, they receive Christ, and that's wise, because now you've passed from death to life, and now you're filled with the Spirit to live a life of meaning, and now you're fulfilling your purpose in time, space, and matter. That's wisdom. And people that are saved have, have been saved through the wisdom of God, even it says in Corinthians, which is foolishness to the world, but it's the wisdom of God to save us through faith in his son. And we have the mind of Christ. And as we grow in the Lord, we grow in the scriptures, we grow in absolute truth and understanding. We know right and wrong. And we're able to discern right and wrong. And we're able to read situations. We we're able to understand situations and, and read them. So wisdom is really like your words. So if you go through the book of Proverbs on a regular basis, most of the Proverbs deal with your words and being a woman of wisdom or a man of wisdom and your words reflect wisdom. But the fool has multiple words and just reflects folly and nonsense. And that's true in every generation as we know in ours. So to be wise as serpents is just to be aware and to, you know, to really have the wisdom of the Lord and be able to read a situation, understand the times and seasons, the prudent foresee evil, foresee evil and take refuge. It's to be able to read a situation. The person you see in the mirror the people you, sh you share your residence with, to be able to read events, your finances, to be able to read what's going on in your neighborhood with your neighbors, to be able to read circumstances in your community, your state, the trends where you live, your country, people, society, to understand the times and, and to understand maybe if things are going wrong at work and someone's giving you a hard time, to be able to step back and like understand what's really going on or to know that something could be going on much more than what you know because there's always more to the story. That's wisdom. But to be harmless as a dove isn't so much thinking and speaking, it's conduct. It's conduct. You ever seen an aggressive dove? You ever seen a pigeon? Well, I mean, pigeons get aggressive with the squirrels down at the beach there in Huntington, anyway, Golden West, but, but they're HB, you know, they're HB doves, they're a little bit different. But, you know, HB pigeons, like, you know, they're, they're localized, right? So, uh, but really, when you think about a dove, you don't, when you picture a white dove, you don't picture like an aggressive bird. Like, you see crows fighting over roadkill or something. Like, you see crows are aggressive, you know, like, doves are harmless. They're, they're not a threat. I find it very interesting, and this is critical as we go forward in the rest of the text tonight. Jesus said, because we're sheep among wolves, we need to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. That's a very powerful figurative speech. See, Whenever Christians are associated with things that are lack wisdom or lack gentle kindness and humility, it, it discredits the Lord. 
And because we're going to look at persecution, the context of the passage is persecution on all fronts. You don't ever want to be persecuted because of your passion for politics with men or women. You want to be persecuted because you've got some dog and pony show that you've hooked your wagon to, and it offends half the people in the country. I'll tell you why you want to be imprisoned or, or persecuted. For believing and representing Jesus Christ according to the scriptures. That's a good reason to be in trouble. But to be in trouble because you're a fool or you're religious and you're political and you act like a fool being religious and political. It's just election year, so I might as well say it. it, it, it you know, it's not worth it. It's, it's not worth it. I'm going to tell you right now, that's why I never say, that's why I'm apolitical. Because it doesn't, like, Jesus is my king. A hundred years from now, well, who can even, well, you probably, some of you could, but what's it even matter where the presidents were in the 1800s? Apart from Lincoln, like, it, what, you know, what's it like? I mean, we're living now, and eternity's coming. And so when Jesus says this, it's a real exhortation, especially in a Christianized nation like ours, to make sure, as we're living our journey, that we're living it for Jesus, and our identity is in Jesus. And if someone's giving us a hard time, it's not because of things other than Jesus. I wish I'd known that when I was 30. There's a lot of things I wish I'd known when I was 30, but put that on the list. So the first thing we see when we think about being wise as serpents and gentle as doves, being chief among wolves in this text is beware of men. Beware of men. Verse 17 is beware of men. <laughs> well, that's not, this is not the only place in the Bible where it says beware of men. Humanity is sinful, and we, are, we tend to be very selfish, and we tend to only care what's in our best interest, by and large, across the board. As I mentioned, if you're, I remember in the 80s, being in Narita Airport in Japan, and they had t-shirts with Japanese figures that represented words, and, and the only thing they had was Ichiban, number one. And that's the one I wanted. That's why I bought that shirt. I wore a shirt that said number one in Japanese, Ichiban. I can assure you there was no other shirt in there that was number two in the, in the Japanese letters. Like, numero uno, no one ever says numero dos, right? I mean, the, Adin Deva, Deva is number two in Russian. In Russia, it's not, it's Adin is one and Deva is two. Like, that's just the way it is. Hanatur in Korean, right? Han is one, two is, is, is two. No one, like, we think about number one. If you study businesses, corporations, healthy cultures, the, 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 the companies and cultures and businesses do extremely well. They make everyone feel important and a part of the contribution of the success of the company. Great coaches in sports, this is why they're great. Because everyone feels important and they feel an ownership and they're all part of it. We want to feel that way. And if we feel minimalized and not a part of a victory that can be had, we're disengaged because we are inherently selfish. And no one wants to work hard. We're less inclined to work hard to make someone else look good when we're doing the work. We look out for ourselves. And because men and women are like this as a whole with a sinful nature, there's just no shortage of life of what you'd call telenovela, even with or without the Lord. That's soap opera in Spanish. It's, it's just, there's drama all the time in the human experience because we're all essentially selfish and focus on ourselves. And the Bible, the Bible makes that very clear. 
There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who seeks after the Lord, no, not one. All we like sheep have gone astray. And the poison of an asp is on our tongues. So this is a tricky thing because just in general, apart from the Lord, we have to beware of men. You start a new job. Hi, it's my first day at work. Nice to meet you. I'll work hard. Work hard, right? Fighting. Let's go. Let's do it. But you know what? Like, you have no idea the culture of that workplace. You have no idea who preceded you in that job, who wants your job that didn't get the job, or who wants to boss you in that job. These are all things we don't know. You go to college, you start this professor's class, you have no idea what kind of professor that is, if they're tenured and whether they're teaching truth or falsehood, they're, they're driven to serve other people, they're driven with their agendas, and they don't even teach their subject for an entire semester, because you can get both for sure anywhere in the world. So really, in general, you can say, beware of men. Like, beware of women. Beware of humanity. People take advantage of other people. I just read in the Proverbs today, only a fool takes it at face value. But the prudent foresee evil and take refuge. You need to, you know, the bigger the stakes, the more important is to read the fine print. <laughs> the bigger the decision, the more important it is to, to really have peace with the Lord about it. So, but we can't live in fear of making decisions because of humanity and how people might treat us, take advantage of us, hurt us, throw us under the bus, and those sorts of things. But in the context, it's because it's for Jesus. So we're talking about like going through hard times for Jesus in this context, that beware of men for Jesus because of the, the testimony. See, it says here, for his namesake. So we're talking about being aware of men who come against us for Jesus, for his namesake. So now this is having a hard time at work in society because your identity isn't, because you're a sheep among wolves and your identity is with Jesus, his namesake. Because every believer is a testimony. You saw the word there, testimony, in verse 18. Every believer is a testimony. We testify, we represent. So, as we represent, in our society, our sports teams, our college classroom, our business, where we work, how we, how we conduct ourselves, wise as serpents, how we think, how we read the room, how we read a situation, how we act and react as gentle as doves, our actions proactively, our reactions, are we resp- responding, are we reacting, are we responding and thinking it through, those sorts of things. This is what Jesus said. And I found ministry for 35 years of ministering to believers who maybe had challenges with this situation, these people, these circumstances. We, we often misunderstand, we, we underestimate how much there's a spiritual battle at work behind the problems we have with people. Because the Bible tells us the whole world's been taken captive to do the devil's will, that we, the world lies under the sway of the wicked one, according to the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan. So sometimes you're at work, and you're like, why is this person so after me? I've, I've exceeded production of other people. I've worked hard. I show up on time. I do what the boss tells me to do. Yet the boss gives me a hard time. And this person over here who's been here longer or whatever doesn't work hard at all. Take, they take the credit for what I do. And they're trying to drive me out. Like, this happens all the time. And like, why does this person so have it against me? Well, as I said earlier, some people just don't like us. They don't like us because of our gender. They don't like us because of our ethnicity. They don't like us because of our age. There's lots of reasons someone just might not like you at all. And they particularly might not, might not like you because of your success or anything. But there is no shortage of people being led by the devil to not like you because of your testimony for Jesus. 
And you think, well, I don't really share at work. I don't put any flyers up on the wall for Greg Laurie's Summer Crusade or something. I don't, I'm not like that. I'm, not, I'm just kind of like, I just let my light shine. I try and work hard. Yeah, and if your light is shining, it's shining for Jesus. Your life, your worldview governed by Jesus and how you carry yourself at work and on a sports team or at college, classroom, all that stuff, it is Jesus. Again, Charles Spurgeon, the famous British preacher, said, preach Christ and, if necessary, with words implying that our life does far more impact than our words, especially the people that see us closely, how we wise as serpents, gentle as doves. In this situation where you might have a hard time at work, as you pray through it, you might realize the devil is just pushing someone's buttons. Listen, I learned a long time ago, there's a cat. You know what that cat's name is? That cat from hell. There's a neighbor's dog. You know what that dog's nickname is? That dog from hell. Because that dog starts barking on Saturday at 9 a.m. And he'll go till 6 p.m. Saturday night the whole time I'm trying to work on a Bible study. And someone killed that dog in Virginia Beach. And the neighbor came to me and thought it was me. And I told him, he's a military guy. I said, I hated that dog. And I love dogs. I did not kill your dog. Because I went to his house one day, you know, like reacting. And I was like, Please, please, Heavenly Father, Holy God, in Jesus' name, don't let your dog bark for hours and hours and hours every single Saturday. Didn't happen on Friday. Didn't happen on Tuesday. Happened on Saturday, the day I prepared the Bible studies for Sunday in Virginia Beach. Someone actually killed that dog. I didn't do it. Someone poisoned it. That's why a lot of cities have a, you know, like little laws about 30-minute barking dogs and stuff like that. Not that anything really gets enforced at the same level anymore, but still. If the devil uses animals to create mayhem, Don McClure had a whole Bible study called The Cat from Hell. He literally dropped the cat off in Sacramento from San Bernardino. He drove it to Sacramento, and that cat made it home. True story, Don McClure. He said, if there ever was a possessed animal on planet Earth, it was our cat. It was the cat from hell. I never forgot that message, 1989, Calvary Chapel Vista. The cat took three months to get back through the, you know, the grapevine and everything and make it home. You know, animals, you never can underestimate them. And it was the cat that tormented Pastor Don McClure when he pastored in San Bernardino. So if the devil can use animals and possess pigs like we already saw in this gospel, you can be for sure the devil will use corrupt, evil, sinful, selfish people to harass you, to give you trouble, and to, without apology, try and wreck and ruin everything good in your life. We can't be surprised by that. In fact, Jesus said this. You, you, you might be falsely accused at work. Because he's talking about, you know, his context, but we could look at ours. You might be wrongly accused at work. I was wrongly accused. I've been wrongly accused before. I've been rightly c- accused before, so I'll tell you that too. But I've been wrongly accused and, you know, you, accusations are tough because it's usually like an element of truth to it, but then they twist it against you. Do you know what I'm saying? In workplaces, like how that can go so subtly because the devil's the master of doing that kind of stuff. He's the father of lies and deception. But Jesus said to them, don't worry about what you'll say. So the application of beware of men when they're, or women when they're coming against you and they're attacking you before your boss, before your friends, you had a friendship, they came in the new friend and they turned your friends against you. Like, how did this even happen? 
right? Like you have a sports team, you've had unity for 10 years as a coach, stability in a high school program. These people come in, they're poisonous, they're toxic, the parents are toxic. They take it over and they train wreck everything you built for 10 years. It happens all the time, particularly to men and women who are godly and shining for Jesus. And the devil looks for that opportune time and tries to destroy it. If that ever happens to you, and it will at various times, you can get so worked up, like, what am I going to say when the boss calls me in, or the principal, or the foreman, or these, this situation? Or you have to give a testimony in a court case, which will really get you going. When I caught the guy stealing my car, and he pulled the knife on me and all that, and I had to go to court, I was just so terrified of this, this guy to go to court and testify. I can't tell you how relieved I was at that Vista court when that, when that guy walked in there and he pleaded guilty. I didn't have to testify at all, but I was so nervous about it. It was scary. So I would just look what Jesus says. He says, don't worry about what you'll say. Did you catch that? We can get so worked up with fears of tomorrow, and I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say that. Listen, when it comes to having difficulties because of your faith for Jesus in the human experience, and you can be fearful about this commission, this testimony, this thing, whatever, just let's take this principle and just say, when we're born of the Spirit, we're born of the Spirit. When we're born again, we're born again. And we have the Holy Spirit with us. And Jesus said in the Gospel of John, He will guide us in all truths. He'll bring to remembrance the Scriptures. And He'll give us discernment. And we'll, we'll know. So don't, don't get too worried about it. Jesus doesn't want you flip-flopping all night over what you're going to say the next day. He said, just, you know what? Wise as serpents, gentle as doves. Go in with humility Go in with the fear of the Lord and let, let it go. And I haven't shared this for a while, but when I coached the U.S. surf team, we're world champions, and I was originally the very first coach of the U.S. Olympic program with the U.S. Olympic Committee. There were things that came against me that I didn't even get to know the accusations. I didn't even know my accusers. It was a horrible, horrible experience. And I had to receive a call from the president of the U.S. Olympic Committee. By that time, I was like, you know what? You, know, you can only go through so much as a volunteer, right? Like, we're done. Like, Tokyo is cool, but not that cool. <laughs> this, we're done. But I sat right where you guys are sitting, but where I normally sit on a Tuesday night, by myself and took that call. And I, I, I said, you know what? I've, I've buried people in this sanctuary. I've married people in this sanctuary. I've dedicated their children. I fear no man in this place. This is where we worship. This is where we tithe. This is where we serve. This is where we cry. This is where we laugh. This is where we danced during COVID, right? Like, this is where it happens. And I sat right there, and I took that phone call, and suddenly this man that was so intimidating just became nothing. He just became a voice on the phone. That's what he became, just a, a voice I respected, too. I was very respectful to him. But yeah, it was like, hey, you can't tell me who accused me. You can't tell me what I'm accused of. You just tell me, don't take vengeance. I said, I've been in ministry for 30 years. I wouldn't still be in ministry if I took vengeance on every wrong that ever happened to me. So, we good? He's a very, very important person. See, you get called before, you know, inspectors, right? City officials. You've been called before people. The lawyer. You ever been to deposition? That can be fairly intimidating. Don't even worry about it. If you're born again and you have the mind of Christ, you get up in the morning like you did yesterday morning, Read the Bible, spend some time in prayer, enjoy your coffee, tea, hot chocolate, whatever, almond milk latte, whatever it is. Do it. Walk out that door with Jesus. 
read the room, wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove, right? And just let the Lord guide you. And the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. So let the Lord give you the words you need in that situation. Beware of men. Don't worry about what you'll speak. The Holy Spirit is in us to help us in everything of life. Not just transform us like Jesus, but to give us the right words. So let your words be spirit-filled and spirit-led. Second thing we see here is division amongst family. That's a tough one, but hardly new. So he said in verse 21, brother will deliver up brother, siblings, spouses, parents to kids, all that. You, you know, we've experienced stuff like this in our family. Some of us have. A lot of parts of the world, it's very profound. If you commit your life to Christ in Pakistan, that's going to get you in trouble with your Muslim family for sure. If you commit your life to Christ in India, that could give you a lot of trouble with your Hindu relatives and friends. That's the way it is for a good portion of the world. For us, it might be like you commit your life to Christ and and you're on fire for the Lord and your whole family's been going to church for your entire lifetime, but no one's on fire for the Lord. They don't believe the Bible, but they go to church. They don't really know what they do believe when you ask them what they truly believe. Those things can happen. And so you can get division in family. We don't normally get division in family over like different world religions wanting to kill each other. Like you can get, well, the believer never wants to kill the non-believer, but it's, it's a persecution of Jesus, right? Because if you're wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove, you're not really, you're, you know, you're not going after people. They're, they, they'd be coming after you. And it's hard. Like, how, who knows how to respond when they come to burn down your church in Nigeria? How do you even handle that? When they come to take your wife away? Like, I don't know. How do you handle that? Well, just, the Lord just has to give you the wisdom and the boldness in that moment. Who can know? If it's a war zone, how different is that from being just in a peaceful society where suddenly they come burn down your village because 10 people gave their life to Christ? These things happen worldwide all the time. In China, after World War II, what Mao Zedong did to discourage Christianity because the underground church was what well, was above-ground church at the time and the Western influences of people like all the Hudson Taylor, <laughs> Eric Little, the famous Chariots of Fire, all these missionaries, Billy Graham's in-laws, Ruth Graham Bell's parents were missionaries in China. So there's all this ministry in China. Well, when Mao Zedong and the communists came to power and the nationalists fled to Taiwan, Hermosa at the time, Taiwan. Mao Zedong thought, well, what we're going to do is we're going to ridicule Christians. We're going to make them look so stupid. We're going to do everything we can to de- devalue them in society by making them look ridiculous. And he turned families against, well, he murdered millions of people in China, but he also turned family members against family members by making, listen, by making the Christian the village idiot in your family. That's what he did. So later on, when Brother Andrew, who was so... Uh, heroic in taking the gospel to the Iron Curtain countries in Eastern Europe during the time of the Soviet Union. So Brother Andrew risked his life many, many times, the famous God Smuggler. It's an all-time classic book if you've never read it, Brother Andrew, uh, Open Door Ministries. He, he went into Romania, Czech Republic, Eastern Europe, Moldavia, all those places, risked his life. Well, when the Iron Curtain came down in uh, 89, when the Berlin Wall came down and the Soviet Union collapsed, he began to go to China. And what was fascinating to him when he went to China is that that one generation from Mao Zedong, 48 to 88, 40 years, they had so demarginalized Christians as being uneducated. And in that Asian culture, that was such a mark against them. So the communists didn't forbid him from coming in the country with Bibles. 
He didn't have to smuggle them in. They encouraged him to bring them in, and they ridiculed him, and they made anyone who associated with him an absolute fool. And so families were divided. When anyone you know, became a Christian, it wasn't so much that the family was convicted that, the, that they were convicted by the Holy Spirit of their child. They were humiliated by their child. You disgrace our family because now in a society where intellectualism is the highest value, you have lowered the value of our family in the community, and thus they divided the families. That's how it worked. And they betrayed one another. That's how it works. So it can be the resistance to hearing the gospel. It can just be like humiliation in the family. So often in a Jewish family, if someone gives their life to Christ, the family is so humiliated, particularly if they live in Israel, that they ostracize them and disconnect them from the family. If you're raised Catholic and you say you're born again, you might be cut off from the family in America. Or have some great arguments with your mom. And then work through it all later on and everyone loves each other, right? We all agree that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's start from there. But this is a reality that families, you have family tension. And the thing about family that's tricky and difficult is they know you better than anyone else. Even my sister, and my sister and I are so close. She just knows how to push my buttons. Barbie can say things to me. Well, my mom used to say those things, you know, you know the family member at like that, you know what I'm talking about? You guys, you, you, can I get some heads nodding? You know when they, you know, my, my mom's, ah, I was like, oh. so you react instead of respond, you know? My sister can do that. Family has that on you. They know, family knows your blemishes like no one else. And that's okay when everyone's like, kumbaya. But if family is mad at you for Jesus and they want to persecute you for his namesake, because in the second one he says, my namesake, well, then it's a problem, isn't it? That's trouble. Because now they can use those things that are normally like cannon fodder at Thanksgiving where everyone's just laughing, where it can get really ugly and messy, where they can use things against you and push buttons and, and that kind of stuff. Parents can get very offended. When I was going to get baptized in the Pacific Ocean, my mom was very, very offended. She, Oh, man, she was so mad. She was Irish Catholic Midwest mad. And what she was mad about, I was like, you've already been baptized. I had you baptized. I'm like, well, that was your choice. This is my choice. I love Jesus. <laughs> That's not a gentle dove, right? Like, but family starts pushing buttons. So what did he say how to handle this? <laughs> Listen, this is a good one. You ready? See what he said for family? What's the word? Endure. <laughs> Isn't that classic? The word for family is endure. When the family's divided and they're persecuting you and serious persecution, he just says endure. Endure. Like, you know, endure is not one of our most favorite words. It's right there next to long suffering, but it actually can be even more than long suffering. Endure seems like an open tab that never closes. Endure can be two people that got divorced, have joint custody, and they don't even talk to each other, and there's a corner-pointed person that's there when they transfer the kid twice a week for 15 years. And then they got to go to the wedding later on, and with their new people, or their old people, whatever, and sit in the same... Listen, I've managed these weddings. Let me tell you, you think showing up as a pastor is just doing the wedding ceremony? It is not. It's offended family members from three decades ago. For the first time ever again in the same room... For this wedding ceremony, endure. And let me tell you, funerals can be even more so. Endure all those 
bitterness and malice and unresolved issues between family members. Oh, my goodness. They, I didn't know this when I went into ministry, but they carry over into the wedding day. And it can rob the joy of the wedding day. I got wiser as I got down the road in ministry. I tell young couples, that's their problem. The wedding day belongs to you. The ceremony belongs to you. The vows belong to you. And the future is yours. If Pop wants an open bar, that's his deal. Just let him do it. But the wedding belongs to you too. It's your future. They're going to step into eternity. They're a different generation. Live your life and be fruitful. Endure. Endure, that's what you do. You have in-laws that for 35 years, all they do is attack Christian faith, Christian truths, and Christian principles. I endured. I endured. I never once, for 30-plus years with my father-in-law, I never once, as they attacked all these things, all the time, I endured. You need to endure. Because when you're wise as a serpent and a gentle as a dove, you just realize the situation, and you let... Endurance, endurance teaches humility. And there's power. There's biblical power, spiritual power and humility. You endure. That's what Jesus said. Division amongst family, for his namesake, there's conflict, there's hatred. You endure. Body of Christ, you endure. You, you're, you, you, you're an instrument of peace. You persevere and you endure. And in the end, when we're all moving toward eternity, you hold the high holy ground from it. That wasn't your objective, but I can tell you, when you've been wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove in family conflicts over faith, for Jesus' namesake, I promise you, if you glorify the Lord in that journey and you endure, you will have tremendous spiritual power to minister in those circumstances to the people who maybe were against you, or to even endure as they step into eternity, whether ever or not they realized how good you were and how gracious you were toward them. We don't choose our family. We choose our friends. Our family is our family, and God has a plan with it. God has a plan with it. There's divine purpose in who your parents are, for however great they were, whatever shortcomings they had because of sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, they had shortcomings. Your siblings, maybe you had great relationships with your siblings. Maybe they tried to steal everything, and like the Grinch stole Christmas. They took everything and come back for the crumb, right? Like some, some adult siblings are like that, and you just, you endure you endure. And the third thing we see is Beelzebub accusation. This is a tough one because, you know, when you're doing good, you don't like to be accused of being Beelzebub. No one likes, you know, it's one thing to call like Ozzy Osbourne, Black Sabbath, like, you know, you guys with the devil, right? Like, like you know, like you want, you want devil association with devil things. Like ACDC singing Highway to Hell, you're like, okay, see, that's Beelzebub. They're singing Highway to Hell, right? That's, that's Beelzebub. But it hurts when you, you represent Jesus for the light and life of men, and you're called Beelzebub. And Isaiah the prophet said, like, woe to those who call good evil and evil good. And people demonize followers of Jesus. Of course, all those missionaries in China in the 1700s, 1800s were called, like, you know, devils. They were called devils, foreign devils. So you think, how, how did the boxers, they're communists in 1901, when the Boxer Rebellion happened in China, because China was so fragmented, when the Boxer Rebellion happened and all those boxers would show up, those, those rebels, and slaughter the foreign missionaries and slaughter the Chinese who believed in the gospel of those foreign missionaries, how could they do that? Well, they were, they were foreign devils. They were demonized in their mind. How did Germany send 6 million Jews to death camps? Because Hitler demonized them in their mind. 
The Jews were blamed for everything in the Third Reich. As were gays, as were uh, Romanian gypsies, like they were all demonized. Once you dehumanize people and you demonize them, then you can eradicate them and you can justify killing them. That's human history. Pol Pot, Kama Rouge, it, it, Stalin. Do you know when the Nazis came into the Ukraine in World War II? I mean, like 600,000 Russians died in that battle just alone when the, when the Germans came in. But in a lot of places, in what was then the Soviet Union, the Germans were welcome because the people of the Ukraine so hated Stalin and the communists. You probably don't know that. But now look at the Ukrainian-Russian war and you realize, no, this is nothing new under the sun. You, delegit you delegitimize people, you dehumanize them, and then you, you persecute them. It's like the North Koreans, what they do to the Christians. Where the South Koreans, who had freedom for the last 70 years, they're the number two nation sending missionaries to the world now. It's the way it works. So it does hurt, because see the first one where he said, the spirit will give you what to say, this one is what people say about you, and that's what really hurts. When people speak evil of you for being a follower of Christ, speak evil of you for doing good, it hurts, and it hurts a lot. When you've served people, you've listened to them, you've prayed with them, and then they turn around and try and destroy you, and it happens to all of us, that hurts, and it hurts a lot. It hurts. It's a deep cut. It's really tough when you're on the winning team with King Jesus to be labeled to be on the devil's team. But Jesus said, they said he did his miracles by Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies, the devil, Satan. So if they did it to the master, how much more will they do it to the servants? And a servant's not greater than his master or a disciple than his teacher. Now, I close with this thought about this third point in the text tonight. Back in the Beatitudes, which we studied there in Matthew 5, Jesus where, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the, you know, the, the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. When I memorized the Beatitudes for the first time in my life last year, I stopped at Beatitude number eight. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's Beatitude number eight. But the ninth one really isn't a Beatitude, but Jesus said, blessed are, are, you, are you when you're persecuted for my name's sake, for greater is your reward in heaven. It's different. That's why when you see the Beatitudes, it said the eight Beatitudes are framed a certain way in your Bible, but that one's a little bit different because it's a little bit different. But Jesus pronounced a blessing upon those who are persecuted for his namesake. The tricky thing is, sometimes we just don't know. Are we being persecuted for a bad decision, how I carried myself, how I responded, or am I truly being persecuted because I love Jesus? Which leads us to that last therefore. Sometimes we know, sometimes we don't. Sometimes you have to move on from a difficult situation where you're falsely accused or partially correctly accused and you never got to face your accusers like me with what I went through with the USOC. Then a year later I hear it was this and that and this and what's it even matter? It doesn't even matter. Like that's, that's then we're just, that was, but, but it hurts. So that last therefore is, the therefore says, therefore, do not fear them. So that's really the application when you're, when you're falsely labeled and falsely accused. Don't fear it. It just, it just is what it is, and there's nothing new under the sun. But therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be made known. So you see, when we get to heaven and we're in glory, all the injustices or the false accusations and all these innuendos implied against us for Jesus' namesake, 
they'll be revealed. And not only will they be revealed, listen, those who have suffered anything wrongdoing, which we all do when we live for Jesus, for Jesus, Jesus promised us a reward. And he says it's not just any reward. It's a great reward. But it's not here. It's in heaven where our treasures should be. Yes and amen.